Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. And uh, today we have a newsmaker on several fronts. That would be our North Carolina Commissioner of Agriculture, the Honorable Steve Troxler. And uh, so, uh, Commissioner, we've got lots of things to talk about. Uh, but I thought we would, first of all, uh, welcome you to the program. And then uh, uh, I know you had a very hard decision about the uh, what to do with the North Carolina State Fair and uh, its uh, uh, whether to have it or not. And so I wanted to ask you about that first off. Well, you know, first of all, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I would have to make a decision to cancel the State Fair. You know, the State Fair is an institution. It's something that everybody looks forward to every year. Uh, and you can count on me until we had COVID-19. Uh, we did everything in our power to figure out a way to have a state fair uh, and have a safe state fair. But after we did all the analysis, uh, there was no way that we could do it under CDC guidelines and, and think that uh, people would be safe coming. There's no way to uh, social distance lines at a state fair that can have 150,000 people on a Saturday. Uh, there's no way to disinfect uh, the hundred rides that we have on the fairgrounds, which is the largest midway uh, in North America. So there's no way to disinfect all the buildings, everything that uh, we deal with there in the state fair. And then it also came down to a business decision. Uh, it cost about $6.8 million to put on the state fair and uh, according to a poll we ran, 65% uh, of the people would be hesitant to come. So the probability was we were going to lose a lot more money if we had that state fair. Well, as you said, uh, the first consideration was uh, everyone's safety. And then, of course, it does get to a very practical decision of if you decide to have it. And this is, uh, of course, what the athletic directors are all wrestling with and whether or not to uh, – have uh, college football and basketball this fall. I mean, they're going through the same thing. It's uh, it's one of these decisions where you, uh, there, are, there are no right answers, but there are certainly some wrong answers. Yeah, that, you know, we tried to bounce things back and forth amongst ourselves. What if? Uh, and the what if finally came down. There's no way to do it safely. Uh, and from a business standpoint, we're just like every other business in North Carolina that has had to be closed for a while, had cancellations, customers didn't come. Uh, we had had about 180 cancellations of events at the fairgrounds that cost us about $2.5 million. So we knew what that looked like. Uh, and, and I want people to understand that we don't get an appropriation from the legislature to run the state fair and the state fairgrounds year round. We have to earn that money through uh, the rents, the, the rentals that we do of the buildings and the money that we receive when we put on the state fair. So uh, there were two strikes against us and, and we just could not overcome those two strikes. Well, that's something that the listeners in the rest of the state uh, need to understand about the state fair. It's not just the state fair, it's the state fairgrounds because it is a uh, uh, busy year round. I know uh, our company had uh, two events out there each year, which are, uh, have now been delayed till next year, I guess is the best term. And, and, uh, but it is a busy place year round. And uh, uh, there are some things, I guess that, uh, 
large crowds uh, don't have to be there. You can do a little social distancing, but most of the events that you would have at the state fair involve people congregating together and there's just no way to do social distancing. So, uh, you know, you're exactly, you're exactly right. Uh, we are, we're having a good state fair when the, there's traffic problems, uh, when we have parking problems, uh, and the fairgrounds is wall to wall people, well, shoulder to shoulder. That's when we're having a good state fair and we could have not envisioned that happening at all this year and doing it in a safe way. And of course, you also have the Mountain State Fair, and that you made a decision on that a little earlier. Yeah, we uh, we made that decision uh, earlier for a reason. Uh, the Mountain State Fair and State Fair both uh, have contracts with different vendors that have a drop dead date on uh, the the contract. So the Mountain State Fair being a, a basically a month and a piece more uh, earlier, we made that decision to make sure that we weren't spending money uh, on something that we weren't going to be able to have anyway. And it was the same thing at the State Fair. The, it had to be a timely decision that was going to allow us to get out of some of the contracts uh, without penalty. So we've made the decision. Uh, there is nobody in this department that likes, I can tell you that, including me. But sometimes you have to just make the hard decisions and move on and uh, make it the right decision and look forward to the 2021 state fair. Exactly. Now, what are, what are other states doing? The, of the, the majority of the larger state fairs across the country are canceling. Uh, right after we made the decision to uh, cancel the state fair here in North Carolina, South Carolina followed suit. Uh, and we're seeing small affairs that are, are canceling. The Carolina Classic that was the Dixie Classic Fair and once the Salem has also canceled. So it remains, it remains to be seen uh, how many of our county fairs are going to be able to have their venues or do they have to cancel too? Now, uh, what, uh, you know, we, we think about uh, this business decision from our point of view, but the, uh, the many of the vendors and uh, certainly the, the uh, carnival rides this is how they make their living. So this is a pretty catastrophic, catastrophic for those folks. Well, the, the State Fair and the Mountain State Fair are huge economic engines uh, when we put them on. And for the vendors, uh, like you say, the carnival operators, uh, even, you know, surrounding businesses uh, also benefit from these fairs. So it is a, it's a huge business impact. There's no question about it. And Believe me, if there was any other way, there would be another way, but there is. Well, now, you've done some interesting things with uh, some virtual uh, or some drive-by on the, on the uh, uh, so-called State Fair food. How's that going? Well, it has gone extremely well. We've had lines. First of all, we've had lines. Well, excuse me. By the way, I, I mean to tell everybody that uh, – the commissioner and I aren't in the same room, so if we talk over each other, it's because we're not side by side. He's in his office, and I'm in mine. But uh, first of all, sort of explain what you've been doing, and then we'll talk about how successful it's been. Well, what we've been doing is having basically uh, drive-through state fair food, uh, and it's given the people the opportunity to, uh, to taste state fair food, remember what it's like, and we're going to continue that. Uh, right on through the uh, the time that we have the state fair, 
but it is amazing to see the lines of people that uh, that come to to get the types of food that we have at the state fair. But if you do a survey, the number one reason people come to the state fair is the food. So it's not really surprising. Now, you're constantly improving the state fairgrounds in Raleigh with a number of capital improvements and things of this nature. What does, uh, what does this cancellation mean with regards to future improvements of the fairground and new buildings and things of that nature? Well, I can tell you from a business standpoint, we're in a basically a lockdown mode right now. Uh, we have started uh, to build a building that would house forestry and soil and water at the fairgrounds during the fair and be used for other venues uh, during off time. But uh, we got the pad poured uh, for that, but we have stopped construction on that. So all of the improvements that you've seen uh, at the fairgrounds over the past several years will be put on hold uh, until we get back to generating uh, normal revenue at the state fairgrounds. Well, as you said earlier, the, the state fair and the state fairgrounds has been self-supporting not uh, funded by taxpayer uh, or actually appropriation from the General Assembly. I guess taxpayers actually do pay for it indirectly. But uh, uh, so this uh, uh, impacts all, of course, your revenue sources. Do you think the General Assembly may take uh, uh, some second look at this now and say, well, maybe we do need to supplement some of the projects that are going on at the fair? And, uh, of course, the General Assembly's got a budget problem, too. Uh, we realize that the uh, the state's budget is in a basically the same shape as the state fair budget, but we do know that if they get some flexibility out of the next uh, coronavirus package from uh, the Congress, then it would allow them to use some of the COVID-19 money to fill some budget shortfalls, and we've made the uh, Office of State Budget and the legislature aware of the problems that we have at the state fair and their understanding. And I think when it gets to the point that they could uh, give us a one-time capital infusion to get our reserves back to what it takes to put on a fair, then I think they'll do it. Uh, it costs about $6.8 million to put on a state fair. Uh, and we try to keep that in reserve. Uh, you never know when there's gonna be 10 days of rain. Uh, and the revenue is, is short. So we tried to keep that much in reserve. We are much below that reserve level right now and really need to get back to that reserve level to have a 2021 fair. And you mentioned that you've had some 180 events canceled so far. Are there any events that are still occurring at the state fair at, because uh, they don't involve social distancing and other concerns? We have had some events, uh, but very few. I know we recently had a, a gun show uh, in the Graham building at the State Fair. We've had a, a couple horse shows, and I think we'll have more horse shows as time goes on. They, there is uh, CDC guidelines for livestock shows and, uh, and horse shows, and we are going to have the junior livestock show uh, at both the Mountain State Fair and the State Fair. Uh, because there are guidelines to be able to do it. And we're going to spread those livestock shows out over the 11 days that the fair would normally occur instead of bunching them around the weekends to allow for the social distancing and the things that we need to do. Our guest is uh, North Carolina Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. 
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Tom has been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. I was really starting to worry. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our special guest, uh, Honorable Steve Troxler, uh, who is the uh, North Carolina Commissioner of Agriculture. He took office in 2005 and has been a frequent guest on this program a number of times. Uh, we have enjoyed... Uh, our relationship, you know, I, I, in the previous segment when we were talking about the state fair, I uh, was thinking about it was only about a month and a half before, I guess, March, where we were meeting in your office to talk about some things we might want to do together with the state fair. So it's amazing how quick things can change. It's, it has been amazing how much uh, COVID-19 has changed the state and the country since uh, the 1st of March. But you know, I think we all understand that uh, we've got to learn to live with it until there is a cure or vaccine and adaption and flexibility, I think, are the key words. Well, let's talk a little bit about how the COVID-19 uh, crisis uh, is affecting the farmers. Uh, of course, uh, the food supply is of concern to all the consumers, all, not only in North Carolina, but across the country for the products that are produced here in North Carolina. Um, and uh, uh, how is that process going, and uh, uh, do you see any uh, major disruptions there? Well, I think uh, one lesson that has come out of the uh, COVID-19 crisis has been the, uh, the recognition of how fragile the food supply really is, and it's been called, our food distribution system has been called just in time, but I would add to that, uh, just enough, just in time. So we have seen, uh, the had to see the shift of 50% uh, of all the food consumed uh, out of the home uh, in institutional settings, restaurants, bars, schools, you name it, all to the grocery store. Uh, and when we did that, uh, we overloaded what the distribution chain would look like. So uh, we, instead of having half of it going to, to institutional and restaurants, half going to the home, uh, it all went to the grocery store. 
Uh, and it did overload the, uh, the distribution chain that uh, we have. Uh, there weren't enough truck drivers. There weren't enough trucks. Uh, there wasn't enough warehousing. Uh, there weren't enough people. So all of that uh, set the whole food supply in a tailspin. And at the, at the beginning of all of this was, of course, the farm. So, in the, you know, what, what we saw was that uh, we had farmers dumping milk uh, at dairies when there was no milk on the, uh, on the stores in the grocery store. And it was a, a, you know, it was a distribution thing. We've seen crops rotting in the fields because uh, the lack of the ability to distri distribute that food in the grocery uh, chain instead of the institutional side. So it took a long time for the, the two food systems to somewhat merge to the point that uh, we got that food into the grocery stores uh, that had been going to restaurants. Uh, some of the truck drivers, some of the skilled people, uh, they migrated from institutional food over to the grocery chain. So we got somewhat of an adjustment, but now with some of the restaurants opening back up, the possibility of schools opening back up, then that readjustment has got to occur again. And there's uncertainty about what that adjustment is going to look like. But it's, it has pushed its way all the way down to the farm level. Well, it's just sort of a moving target, and every time something changes in uh, the uh, way that we are uh, conducting ourselves, it changes. Uh, the changes go all the way back, as you said, to, all the way to the farmer. Have many of the farmers uh, changed their plans as far as what they plant uh, to meet demands? Uh, has that changed, or is that about the same? Well, for the most part, I think they had already made plans to plant their crops for this year, but what it did do they had to change some of the marketing that they had been doing before. Uh, they, they've had to go to more uh, online marketing, more local marketing. Uh, and if you've been uh, selling to wholesalers and, and uh, to distribution points, uh, it's a big change. Uh, we've seen uh, some of the uh, distributors of wholesale food have to change the type of packaging they did so that it accommodated, uh, you know, people that were buying for the home. So there has been a, a great deal of change. The, the change is still happening. Uh, a lot of influx uh, in the marketplace. So it's, it's been a hard time to put your finger on what's a good business decision and what's not. Well, you know, we think about all the different changes, but, uh, you know, the college is going back. Of course, most of the, if, uh, say, 60% of the students end up back on campus, then those dining facilities are going to have to reopen. And of course, that's, that brings about another change because for all practical purposes, I guess you were treating those like institutional buyers. Yeah, uh, shifting this population from one place to the other and that food supply to feed them is it's always going to be difficult. We're going to go through it again when uh, uh, the colleges and universities, you take all of the students that... Uh, have been eating at home. Uh, now, if they go back to the university campuses, that food once again has got to go back to institutional food uh, so that they have the food available uh, on campus or close to campus to be able to, to eat. So uh, it's going to be a moving target for quite some time until we get a vaccine and all of this settles down.
Now, uh, we there, in the news uh, early on in this crisis, there was a lot of concern, especially about meat processing. Where does that stand now? Well, the, I think the I think everybody had to understand that uh, that meat that's grown on a farm is not the form that we've got to have it to to eat it, whether it be institutional or from the grocery store. So these slaughter facilities and and packaging facilities became instantly uh, critical. Uh, we saw workers in these plants that uh, did uh, contact, uh, come in contact with COVID-19 and become ill. There were mass uh, outages from uh, people not being able to work. Uh, so therefore, we had a shortage of meat uh, on the grocery shelf. Uh, so that is, has, has subsided somewhat. What we have done in the Department of Ag is kind of been the liaison between the industry and public health and CDC and helping the industry work with them to uh, put in even, even more uh, things that would help prevent uh, the spread of COVID-19. And, and for the most part, the companies have worked hard to do that. Uh, but if you go back and you think about it, in the beginning how difficult it was for even uh, medical workers and first responders to get enough PPE for themselves. The same thing applied to all of the private industries out there. Uh, the PPEs just were not available. Uh, it has become more available, and we have worked with public health to be able to help the companies, uh, especially in meat processing plants, get the proper PPEs. And now uh, working with uh, East Carolina University uh, and public health, uh, there's about a million pieces of PPE that are going to be distributed to farms uh, for farm workers to be able to use not only at work, but take the PPE home with them uh, so that uh, we, we uh, limit the amount of community spread there is out there. Uh, and these farm workers and workers in these production facilities are the lifeblood. So we need to make sure we do everything we can. Now, we in North Carolina have had a rather robust export of farm commodities. Uh, of course, we're not the only country in the, the world uh, facing problems because of COVID-19. So what has that done to our export situation? It certainly has slowed the export of products uh, around the world. Uh, you know, think about shipping that's, that has to be done uh, in export markets. There have been times that there were not enough workers on the uh, ports around the world to even be able to receive products that uh, we or any other country would be exporting to them. Uh, and these other countries have gone through that same influx of changing their food system uh, that we have. So it, it has pretty much upset the apple cart as far as uh, export of agricultural products. Well, of course, we've talked about export. Uh, what about import? I mean, we import some things. I'm not sure how much uh, uh, our imports have been vital to uh, the uh, agricultural scene in North Carolina, but uh, that's, uh, of course, another concern. You, you know, I don't have any figures that uh, can show what's happened, but I can tell you that if you go to a home improvement store and you want to buy a corded, uh, tool, say a, a power saw or a drill, there are none on the shelves. So is that a function of a lot of these uh, tools being made somewhere else and imported? 
uh, into the United States or the pieces that uh, are in these tools that might be manufactured here. Yeah, I think that's probably what's happened, and I could would guess that that's true for a lot of different things that we normally would import. Construction seems to be still robust, so I I, I guess our uh, timber industry is 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 doing okay. That's just a guess. You tell me what the truth is. <laughs> yeah, our timber industry in North Carolina uh, is dependent on a lot of exports, and of course. Uh, the same thing applies to them, porch workers, workers in foreign factories that make furniture uh, or other products. So uh, this is a worldwide situation that's going to take a long time to, to write. Well, it's uh, everywhere you look, there's a problem uh, either with a lack of supply or too much supply or distribution. Uh, I'm sure this is uh, keeping you and your staff at work all the time, and it's uh, just a uh, you know, we everyone says this over and over and over. No one has ever seen times like these. No, this is one of those times that you have to work to solve problems every day, and sometimes you have to make it up as you go. And uh, it's unfortunate, but we've never seen this before. No, no, we have no uh, nothing to go back on. A lot of people are talking about this being a recession. The truth of the matter is many areas of the economy are not in a recession. They're in a boom. Uh, other areas are not in a recession, they're in a depression. So it's, it's really the strangest economic time I've ever seen. Well, you know, I think it's the first time that the, the stock market has not completely tracked the economy. Yeah. But as you say, there are industries that are booming. If you're making PPEs or medical equipment or in the process of making a vaccine, things are as good as they're ever going to get. Yep. Our guest is Commissioner of Agriculture, Steve Troxler, and we'll be back with another segment right after these messages. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. North Carolina Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxer is our guest. He's been in that role since 2005, been on this program a, a number of times. And uh, so far today, we've talked about 
uh, the, the state fair and the cancellation of the state fair. We've also talked about the other problems of distribution that are brought about, about uh, the change in where people are getting their food and food products. But uh, agriculture goes beyond that. And of course, the ongoing problems are always there. And uh, I know one of the notes that uh, I want to get to that Jason gave me, all he wrote down was foreign seed scams. So I'm going to ask you, what, what was Jason trying to tell me? Well, you know, uh, this is my first experience with something like that. They tell me that uh, this is a brushing scheme. Uh, this is where a company uh, gets information somewhere, whether it's hacked or whether it's been bought on uh, people that are, are buying things online. And uh, so what they've done is they have shipped packets of seed uh, into the country uh, North Carolina being one of the states that has received a lot of these packages of seed, uh, but we have no idea what the seed are, but we are very careful to make sure that it's not an invasive species or has some disease that would affect uh, the agricultural crops that we grow. So we're in the process of working with USDA and Homeland Security uh, and what we want people to do is please, please, please do not plant these seeds. Uh, hold on to them uh, and any packing material that goes with them. And we are out actually collecting these seed packets from all across North Carolina. We have uh, our uh, plant industry people and regional agronomists out collecting them right now. And we have uh, are probably going to have to add our forestry rangers in every county across the state. But we intend to collect every one of these seed packets uh, before they can even go to a landfill. If you put them in a landfill, there's still the possibility that these seeds could germinate. So we want to get these seeds in, uh, do the evaluation on what they are, and then properly dispose of them, probably by incineration. Well, now I'm going to change the subject because of this past week. I mean, you know, we've got enough to worry about with COVID-19 and all the effects of that. And then on top of that, we start the hurricane season early on. And one of the, one of the comments I've got about the hurricane season is next time they name a hurricane, I surely hope they will come up with a name that we can all pronounce the same. <laughs> yeah, I told my staff, I said, I can't pronounce this, so let's just call it Izzy. <laughs> that, that I can would, pronounce Izzy. I think a nickname would have been fine for this one. But I, I must have heard a uh, hundred different uh, pronunciations of it. And uh, uh, at least those people were consistent within their own, uh, uh, own delivery of it. But uh, the weather, of course, uh, is a major concern for farmers. And the hurricane certainly affected a number of uh, counties in eastern North Carolina. Just how severe uh, is this uh, problem for us? Well, you know, I've learned one thing about hurricanes and tropical storms. You don't say how much damage there is right off the bat. It takes time to, uh, to see how much damage there is. In a lot of cases, you won't know until we harvest it. But the preliminary reports are uh, the wind was much greater than wind speed was much greater than anybody expected. Uh, we do have uh, especially tobacco and corn that have been twisted, blown down, uh, and we have reported damage of some hemp uh, that was out there. Uh, but it remains to be seen uh, how much salt spray damage will come off of this uh, tropical storm slash hurricane 
uh, when they come ashore, they bring with them a lot of salt spray. And salt spray is like boiling water to a lot of our plants and agriculture. So we've got to wait to see how much damage there is. Uh, the good news is we did have some dry areas in the state that got two, three, four inches of rain that would be welcome on a lot of the crops. And the reports from the livestock industry are that uh, all of our livestock industry came through this extremely well. Uh, no reports of breaches of lagoons. Uh, we did have uh, power outages at some of the uh, animal operations. They're on generators. Uh, I think we had a couple hog houses that the roof was lifted off by uh, tornadoes and one, I think one poultry house that the generator failed and, and we did have some mortality there. But, you know, overall, I've kind of characterized this, comparing it to Michael, Matthew, and Florence, uh, we kind of got a grazing shot to the arm compared to the rest of them. Well, rainfall has been rather inconsistent in North Carolina even prior to this uh, because many of our counties have had uh, more rain than usual and other areas of the state have been dry. Uh, is this unusual? Well, being a farmer all my life, I tell people the, the weather is a constant for a farmer. It's always too wet. It's always too dry. It's always too hot. And it's always too cold. So I would say... Yeah, it's about normal. Nothing that nothing that a farmer would ask for, but we deal with the weather no matter what. Of course, flooding and wind damage is one thing, but I think you told me one time uh, we have a. Uh, unfortunately, we uh, the commissioner and I have a restaurant that we uh, uh, ate at frequently, and I'd see them there often. And, and by the way, they've been a casualty of the. COVID-19 crisis, and we'll close, and so I won't see them for lunch there anymore. But one time. Uh, I was talking to him about the rain, and uh, you made a comment that uh, you can actually handle uh, a little drought better than you can handle too much water, too much rain. That's uh, the old adage uh, that I've heard all my life is a, a dry weather crop will scare you to death, but a wet weather crop will kill you. Uh, and that is true. If, it, if it's on the dry side, we can irrigate and put water out there, but when you get flooding conditions, uh, you know, it's awfully hard to get it all fast enough that it doesn't drown the roots and suffocate the plant. So uh, a little dry weather is always better than a flood. Well, I found that, I found that very interesting. Now, I want to ask you another question because I love watermelon. I love watermelon. Now, I've been told that watermelon is always sweeter in a drought season than it is in a wet season. Is that true? I would guess that it is true. I know in the case of cantaloupes, uh, I raise both watermelons and cantaloupes, but when you have a, a drier season, you can control the water on a watermelon and a cantaloupe. So the sugar is more concentrated when you have uh, dry weather and control the water. And the sweetest cantaloupes will come when you have almost no rain uh, and you, you're drip irrigating and just you know, just keeping it in a good growth state and not blowing up all at once. So I've, I'm assuming that is true. Well, with the irrigation systems we have now, I guess it almost takes a, a full-time management of how you uh, distribute your water and drought, but it is easier to do that than to control the rain. It absolutely is. Uh, I had a good friend of mine in eastern North Carolina that, uh, you know, they're, they're in the Blacklands and it's flat. 
and he was in the mountains and he said, you know, when we get a foot of water in eastern North Carolina, we got a foot of water and we got to get it off real quick. But when a foot of water falls on the top of that mountain over there, by the time it gets to the bottom, it is real mad and it's going to tear up everything in its wake. And, you know, that's pretty much true. Well, the weather, you know, I've known a lot of farmers in my life and they all say the same thing. You're, you're the biggest gamblers in the world. And uh, uh, as a consumer of agricultural products, I certainly appreciate that. Do you see any long-range changes to, uh, I, we, we alluded to this a little earlier, because of the fact that we seem to be having more weather-related problems in eastern North Carolina with flooding, uh, over the last 10 years than we had maybe in the 20 years before that. Do you see any long-range changes to the way that the farmer will uh, uh, approach his business? Well, it, it's all about agricultural research. Uh, if the weather is our constant, and we've got to deal with it no matter what, if we are seeing changing weather patterns, uh, and there's going to be more uh, heavy rains and more droughts than We've got to have the technology to be able to handle it, and that includes uh, drainage uh, in eastern North Carolina. We, have, uh, we are trying to clean out uh, the streams and the rivers in eastern North Carolina where there's been years and years and years of uh, debris deposited in these rivers without very little upkeep. Uh, and the faster the water can run through the rivers and the quick creeks, the quicker it gets off the farmland. So that's, that's one thing that we've got to approach is drainage. Uh, the other thing I think that we've got to approach is how do we handle all the water in North Carolina? Uh, if you look at the Piedmont in particular, with all of the impervious surfaces that have been built in roads, uh, rooftops, businesses, uh, then all of that water is going to end up in eastern North Carolina. So have we done an adequate job of uh, flood control uh, with all the building that's going on? I'm one that thinks not. Uh, so how do we plan to, to handle this water when we do have times of tropical storms or even heavy thunderstorms? Uh, you can actually go to eastern North Carolina during some of these heavy rains and, and thunderstorms and uh, tropical storms, and you can see the red water uh, that's going down the rivers the red water didn't come from the sands of eastern North Carolina. It came from the Piedmont. So we've got to continue to work to handle water and to do research. Our guest is Commissioner Steve Troxler, and uh, we've talked about all sorts of things so far, and we'll sort of review that picture when we come back with one final segment of Carolina Newspapers, and we will do that right after these messages. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. 
If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Commissioner of Agriculture of the State of North Carolina, Steve Troxler. Uh, a reminder that this program is aired in two different versions on a number of stations. A number of stations carry a half-hour version of the program, and the others carry a full hour. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries only the half-hour version, there are two segments that you're missing, but you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com, and Jason Kong, our producer, segments those two, uh, sets them aside, and you can pick up those two additional comments. And we've had some really interesting uh, discussion on a number of fronts. Again, uh, as we said, these are highly unusual times, and especially in the area of, uh, of uh, agriculture and, and all the things that uh, the commissioner and his office have to handle. Uh, let's very quickly recap the situation with the North Carolina State Fair and the fairgrounds. Uh, the State Fair has been canceled for the year, and uh, you mentioned earlier that this is, this is a hard decision, hard decision. Yeah, it absolutely was a, a, a really an awful decision to have to make. I lo absolutely love the State Fair. Uh, when we had the State Fair and I see all of these people with smiles on their faces, uh, I see the kids with their eyes bulged out looking at everything that we have at the fair, including the animals, the rides, uh, that makes me happy. Uh, and so it's a glad place at the fairgrounds during the fair, and this year it's going to be a sad place. So uh, people, I hope people will just hold on until 2021, and we're going to put on the biggest and best state fair ever. Well, that's something we can all look forward to. And, of course, you also mentioned, of course, the state fairgrounds uh, covers so many other projects, and I think already – some 180 events have been canceled and many more will be canceled. And of course, the uh, Mountain State Fair has also been canceled. It has, uh, and the Mountain State Fair means so much to uh, Western North Carolina, and I love the heritage of that fair and uh, the mountain crafters, uh, quilt makers, carvers, uh, music. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're going to miss that Mountain State Fair as much as people down here are going to miss the State Fair. We also talked a great deal about the changes uh, brought about by COVID-19 with many of the restaurants and institutional uh, providers of food uh, that people go out to eat uh, being closed or certainly limited in their capacity. Uh, this has caused a, a, a distribution problem for the farmers because now people are eating the same amount. So where do they get their food? And in this case, now they're getting more from grocery stores. Uh, you outlined the, uh, the problems of constantly reassessing how to, to supply food to the right sources at the right time. And this is a, going to be an ongoing problem. 
It is. One of the things that we realized uh, with the shortage of meat uh, in the grocery store uh, is that we do have a lot, a lot of farmers in North Carolina that are supplying local meats uh, to straight to customers. And the problem that we have right now is the lack of slaughter facilities for our farmers. So we went to the legislature and asked for uh, some COVID-19 money to expand slaughter capacity in some of our smaller plants in North Carolina so that we can open up the, the trade of more uh, local meats. Uh, we know that uh, people have sought out the local meats from the farmers and we want to increase that business. And uh, we've got 2,000 meat handlers registered with the department and with proper slaughter capacity, we're opening up a whole new world for these people. Now, we constantly hear more and more news coming out of Washington about COVID-19, vaccines, and, and the supply of uh, medical supplies and so forth, but business goes on as usual. What about the farm bill that uh, Congress must be at, uh, uh, addressing at some point in time? Where does that stand now? Well, we just got a, uh, a farm bill passed, and it's implementation of that farm bill now that is going on. But... The U.S. Department of Agriculture is, it right now is have to be, they have to be so tied up with emergency monies. Uh, uh, they've had to be rounds of payments to farmers because of trade. Uh, now we've got some COVID-19 money that they, they're putting out. And all of this money is very much appreciated. And farmers want to make a living out of the field, not the mailbox. But without that mailbox, with all that's going on right now, we would lose many of the farm families that we have in this nation, and we can't afford to lose them. We are the people that feed everybody in this country. So we've got to shake this down to the point that farmers are making a profit again, uh, that farmers can stay on the farms and protect the natural resources that, that we're going to need uh, to feed ourselves. Suppose that what happened with the supply shortages in the grocery stores is an everyday thing because we simply can't produce it on the farm. That's something we never want to see, so we've got to work to that end. And, uh, of course, uh, situations like this always uh, bring about a change in labor. What about the supply of labor for the farmer? Well, the supply of labor is always a, a problem uh, at the farm level. I, I think we've been able to get adequate H-2A workers uh, in this year, but then you throw in COVID. Uh, COVID has affected agricultural workers in North Carolina. So we've been working with uh, the Agri-Medicine Agri Institute uh, at East Carolina and public health uh, and encouraging farmers to get on top of this and, and work with public health to minimize the risk to uh, agricultural workers. I mentioned that uh, public health is now distributing uh, a million pieces of PPEs and sanitizer through the North Carolina Extension Service. This is a really, really good thing for our farm laborers. The, the people that work on our farms and our processing plants, they're the lifeblood that we have to have to make ag successful. So anything that we can do to further the, the health of these workers, then we need to do it. And, of course, we spent a good bit of time talking about the recent uh, uh, disaster in, in some parts of the state uh, brought about by the recent hurricane. Uh, and that also uh, gets back to uh, 
uh, statement you made earlier, I love that, uh, just enough food, just in time. This also plays into uh, concerns about how we do that. It absolutely does. Uh, think about transportation disruptions. I remember during Florence, uh, 95 was closed, 40 was closed, many of the, the highways were closed. And Wilmington uh, was sitting out there almost like an island with no way to get food to it. They talked about even bringing food, emergency food in by ships. But uh, I've got to say that my food distribution drivers who deliver USDA food went beyond the call of duty. And we got emergency food into Wilmington. And the Baptist Home Mission had their feeding uh, system set up there. So... We were able to feed, but transportation is a major part of what this food distribution network is. And any disruption in transportation can cause the same problems that we've seen with COVID. And uh, in about 30 seconds, uh, you, you also mentioned that you, know, you, you won't know for a little bit of time exactly how disastrous uh, an effect the, the uh, hurricane will have on the economy as far as the uh, agriculture community, but uh, any change uh, on that? Well, I just uh, ask people to remember what it's like when the food supply is limited. Uh, thank a farmer every day for the hard work that they put in and all kinds of weather to feed the people. Thank all of the people that work in agribusiness that make the food on the shelf possible. And uh, if we do that, then everything's going to be okay. Great. Thank you, uh, Commissioner. You've done a good job of get, leaving me just enough time to remind everybody, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or hear the segments that you might have missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Our program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. And so until next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.